0: Welcome to the Half Company podcast, a podcast that bridges the gap between artists and their community. I'm grateful to share conversations with Half Company artists and residents, friends, and a little bit of my own thoughts on creating work and finding balance. I'd like to thank this week's sponsors. Fringe Supply Company is an online resource for knitters. Run by the amazing Karen Templer, Fringe Supply is the sister shop component to Karen's inspiring and thoughtful blog, Fringe Association. This simple and beautifully curated online shop is home to well made tools and accessories, as well as fringe originals like the Porter Bin Project Bag and the greatest invention ever for the knitter on the go, the Field Bag. You can find Fringe Supply Company on Instagram at Fringe Supply Co and visit their online shop at fringesupplyco.com. How To Hair Girl is a community for anyone looking for hair musings, styling, craft, and culture, facilitated by Roxy Jane Hunt. Visit the online shop for small batch remedies, tools, and handmade art for the crown chakra, and dive into a shampoo-free lifestyle with the help of the Free Your Hair Brush. Learn to braid, read interviews with your favorite witches, make your own hair rituals, and get your monthly hair scope on the blog. Visit howtohairgirl.com and find them on Instagram at howtohairgirl. Lizzie Silva is changing the landscape of the fiber arts community with her sacred knots, appreciation for those who came before her, and her beautiful practice of meditation and visualization, both in her daily life and in her artistic practice. Here's Lizzie. Hello, welcome. This is Marley and I'm sitting here with Lizzie Silva. It was so funny. We were just talking about, well, hi Lizzie. Hi. We hi. were just talking about before we hit record about the spelling of Lizzie's name. That is L-I-S-E. Yes. And I just almost freaked. I just, and we were just talking about how it's easy to forget or something, but, um,
1: strange Portuguese spelling of a nickname that's really like an English name so think L-I-Z-Z-I-E but yeah it's L-I-S-E in spelling. Perfect um and Lizzie
0: we 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 realized that we met years ago at Mercado Sagrado Mm -hmm. when you were vending there and I was there with Rachel from Otherwild um but yeah I I found you on
1: how was that for you, like, just, because you hadn't been to that event. Like, it, no. I mean, it's a new event. It's yeah. still yeah. only, like, a few years in, but, like, because yeah. you, did, I mean, had you done an event, helped an event with, like, in California? Like,
0: that was my thought. first, um...
1: Because I feel like it's so it was so California. It like, was an, so event.
0: California. Yeah. I felt very, like, an out-of-place Michigan punk girl at that <laughs> event. <laughs> I was like, I forgot my floor-length dress and straw hat at this (laughs) event and my baby I forgot my baby also (laughs) (laughs) and uh yeah and no judgment to people who wear those things and have really cute babies I love them but um yeah it was an interesting I mean it was one of my first times traveling for you know to like vend at something and I, I brought zines and different things that I carried at have company in Michigan but it was mostly just like a I felt like a spectator of, like, a world that is, like, not my world, for better or worse,
1: but... Yeah, yeah, yeah It well- was such a magical Malibu spot, mm, and then occasionally mm-hmm. this white horse would, like, ride past... I don't know if you saw the... Remember the white mm, horse? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it, was, it was like you're in a wonderland. It was a really... Such a magical place, and it was, like, a really amazingly... Curated event of just so many like really high vibe people yeah. and artists and craftsmen and women yeah. and yeah food vendors and yeah it's it was it was my first time doing that event because I think it was only the second year but it was pretty amazing
0: yeah that's also where I got to meet Liz mm-hmm. from Sister Spinster yes. Nick from Homestead and Amber from Pink Light and those you know Nick and Liz especially became like two of my greatest friends and. It was, yeah, it was, like, a fun way to just, like, meet these new people who I'd, yeah. like, admired from afar. Because you had even afar. thought about
1: moving to the Bay no, at that point. No, no,
0: yeah, yeah. no, yeah, yeah. That At that point, I was, like, deep. I was, like, deep Michigander, and, <laughs> uh, but was, like, happy to visit. Um, so, yeah, Lizzie, you make these beautiful, colorful, and often perfectly beige and cream mm-hmm. um, rope pieces that our macrame fall into do we use that word no no actually, we use um, t- t- you you do a little own words
1: own what is it um, what is it
0: that you make in this world
1: so uh like I generally just describe myself as a fiber artist mm-hmm. and um fiber artware um Designer creator, because I oh. use different techniques and kind of created my own style, mm, um, mm-hmm. and I actually kind of created what I do based in opposition to macrame because <laughs> um, no, I don't mind at all. I, right, there's right, no right. offense taken. Of macrame course. is great, and right. um, if people characterize it as macrame, totally get that because mm-hmm. it, that's a more visible style of knotting than what I do. Um, but I'm the reason I say I made it opposed to macrame is because I started in macrame and not at any kind of grand level, but I just started learning and really getting into it and getting into the idea of macrame necklaces and the amount of knotting it took. I just got very interested by the idea of macrame is a series of hundreds, probably possibly thousands mm, of mm-hmm. very similar redundant knots, often mm-hmm. like you're doing the same knot over and over. Mm-hmm. And it's a series of repetitive knots in a different pattern that make the design, right? But what if you could make a necklace based off just one knot or just two knots or something? And that really uh, drew my attention to Chinese knotting. And that was more the impetus of like how I got into this. So I kind of took elements of traditional knotting from some more necklace general construction ideas from what a lot of artisans did in the 60s and 70s with Mm -hmm. macrame necklaces but then I took Chinese knots, Korean knots and got more into sailors knots and Celtic knots and it just opened this whole door of like a single ornate knot as a piece of art instead of lots of tiny knots making up a pattern mm-hmm. um, if that makes sense mm-hmm. I'm explaining that. I feel like I've explained that better than I just did right now Yeah. but, um, but now I've moved away when I first started I mm-hmm. did traditional knots so the necklace was very centered in this knot the meaning and history this knot has mm. and I don't think there's many if any knots in my current repertoire that are traditional now I've create my own knots so it's cool. more like designing my own knots and then in describing myself as a fiber artist I keep it general like that because I also use sewing as a technique and tassel mm-hmm. making and a very minimal beading and
0: mm-hmm.
1: so there's a lot of different elements and the exact and wrapping as well mm-hmm. um, and so the exact style is kind of my own creation which is just nameless but it definitely descends from traditions of Chinese knotting, macrame, all that good stuff.
0: What was the first? I mean, when did you like get your hands on rope? Like, where, mm. where were you? What? How did that even come into your
1: mind? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's such a good question. Um, I would say like four or five years ago, I got very into like when I started to play with macrame. Before that, my focus in art had been illustration,
0: Mm.
1: using photography in different ways combined with illustration and stuff. And I I felt like I was never, I felt like I was never able to feel good with my work at that time Hmm. in that Mm -hmm. medium. I just kind of felt like it was not expressing anything that um poignant for me I guess mm-hmm. I don't I don't really know how to describe it but so I just macrame just started as an interest I had no intention for it to be like mm-hmm. leading to anything that was going to become my work mm-hmm. and now when I look at fiber arts I mean that was nothing that had inter I wasn't fiber arts weren't even on my radar mm-hmm. you know and now that I look at some of the things I made I'm like where did these things come from like yeah. I birthed these weird alien babies I have no <laughs> idea or connection like how this came to be and I feel like that's a lot of things in life it's just you can't plan it you just follow your bliss you kind of something's interesting in you in the moment you follow it you take it there and it will, you have to believe it will pan out. And even the fact that I worked and interned in photography, um, I used to live in Washington DC and I had some internships where I did photography for different businesses. And after, right after that, I kind of looked back on it like, oh God, what a waste of my time. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I was not never gonna be a photographer. Like, why did I spend all that time doing that? And now I see like, ugh. I did that and that was what I was drawn to at the time because it gave me skills to show my work now. Mm. You know, now I can um, photograph my my yeah. um lookbooks myself. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't always love to, like I usually sure. love to just like focus and kind of be on set styling and work with the photographers, but I can do it. And I can photograph, you know, products for, you know my site to 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 mm-hmm. to make them marketable. I can have good photos for my website, and I kind of feel like some of the things that I've done in the past. It's easy sometimes to look at as like, well, that went nowhere. Actually, mm-hmm. it actually it was all part of yeah. building to where I am now, where I can harness these skills and. Um, it took a while for me to get that awareness, mm-hmm. to, like, appreciate mm-hmm. some of the things that seem like dead ends in mm-hmm. my life mm-hmm. that actually brought me to where I'm at. And it reminds me of, like, hearing something about Steve Jobs, how he was, like, obsessed with calligraphy at one point. Oh, interesting. And he's working on, like, computer stuff, but he he audited a college class on calligraphy, which mm-hmm. is, like, the most ancient, like, it seems like it's so disparate from computers. Like, how could you possibly, right. whatever, combine these interests? But what separated Mac out from other types of computers is that he had the best fonts. Mm. And the fonts he created based off, like, what he had learned about calligraphy. And so it was, like, such a direct, even though it seemed like a non-sequitur, I think sometimes mm-hmm. those things in our life we see isn't, like, a non-sequitur. We just have to trust that if mm. we follow our bliss follow our interest that there's a purpose somehow in some way
0: yeah I I definitely feel that just even having a a dance degree and sometimes Mm -hmm. I even though it's gone in waves though like I feel like I really returned to my practice as a dancer and a dance teacher and but for so long when I was running half company as a space in Michigan I remember just being like why the hell did I get a dance degree and now I'm like a business owner and do those things even, but then really tracking like, Oh, so much of what I learned about composing and collaborating and curating is exact. That's exactly why, like they are directly related. They're not different at all. So Um, true. So I love that. You know, I think it's interesting that, you know, your work kind of is, you have a few different things that you do that we'll talk about. And, you know, one of them is teaching. One of them is sort of leaning more into, like, a fine art, non-functional pieces. You're making wall hangings and, mm-hmm. and pieces for galleries. And then this wearable art that mm-hmm. is much more like a product that, um you know, you might see in a store or on, in an, on an online shop. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about the sort of, like, fine art path
1: mm-hmm. and
0: how... I think a lot of people who listen are like, how do I get a show somewhere? Or like, Mm. what is that world like? Um, Mm. So yeah, maybe just tell us a little bit about both like the art perspective of that. Like, what are you thinking about when you're creating new bodies of work and just like the business and like admin side of looking for shows or getting approached or how do you communicate about that?
1: Totally. Well, what's coming to mind right away is like, this memory that i had um well let me start it in a non-linear way right mm-hmm. so i was at this play i was at the shop resurrect which is a great store for like local designers work um really beautiful shop in Piedmont, in oakland and uh through a series of I don't know, things I had done, the the owner Kate had asked me to do a pop-up there. So I'm there, and you know, you meet different people, and you never know who's going to walk in, and one girl who, um, and she brought a friend, was really sweet and engaging and interesting, and she was asking about my work, and she said she was the co-owner, founder of Oxtail Gallery in Berkeley, and she asked if I wanted to to do a show there. Mm. So I thought, okay, yeah, that sounds good to me. That's amazing. Like, let's, let's talk, let's work it out. Mm -hmm. And so I went there to talk and just see the gallery, because I don't think I'd been there Mm -hmm. at that point. Mm -hmm. And I, the place seemed familiar, but not not immediately, but it was. It's next door to this amazing resource in in Berkeley, South Berkeley, kind of North Oakland, whatever, mm-hmm. called Laces or some people say Lissies. If you mm-hmm. if you're down with the French pronunciation, mm-hmm. but it's a lace museum. But it's like a store and it's like a museum. Wow. It's really amazing. Yeah, it's on Adeline, um, South Berkeley. So the the so this gallery is next door to that, mm-hmm. and I go to Lissies a lot for different supplies and stuff, and they have great classes there whatever cool. so I go and I see the gallery and it's great and I talk to Jesse and I leave and after that like suddenly this memory came back to me like after this after I'd got home and I don't know it could have even been days later but of me when I had first moved here going walking into La Cis, walking I'd parked I walked past that that gallery space and I thought how do I how do I get my work into a gallery like that? Like how would I even how do you get into a gallery? Like what do you do? Like I want to be in there. And it's so funny because it took so long and suddenly that memory hit me.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I just was so amazed and thought like oh that's such a sign of you just keep working and meeting people and just kind of staying true to what's interesting interesting you in the moment and what feels honest to you and and things will pan out and there's probably a three-year gap between me like Mm -hmm. first walking past that gallery thinking like I want to be in in a gallery like that how do Mm -hmm. you do that to like three years later meeting the gallery owner and like having a show there Mm -hmm. so it was a really cool moment to think about and I honestly feel like Something's gonna stick if you if you are making work that feels good to you and you're you're also supporting other people's events and meeting people mm. um I think that's so important too if you want people to support you and go to your show, you have to be out there in the community. You have to go to your local galleries and kind of just pop in to the opening and and talk to people. And eventually something's gonna stick, but you want to have enough. I'm using so many like tired metaphors, but you want to have enough mm. irons in the fire to mm-hmm. like, to know that like you're not putting all again another terrible metaphor all your eggs in one basket. <laughs> so you it's like so I feel like some people just get so caught up on one track they just mm. are like ah uh, this is the ticket I'm gonna do this thing and when it doesn't pan out they just lose all hope with their work and everything and it's kind of like you just kind of have to follow things and do things without expectation but with the trust of knowing that it's all for the good in the end and that and and we kind of pulled a card before that says the from the Iris deck that's the one who needs to control and I just feel like that's coming into play in my mind right now because it's, it's that feeling of like you can't control when your opportunities come or how they come all you can do is keep moving keep working keep being honest um, and just trust that the opportunity will come but a lot of times things we think are our big break really aren't that at all and the thing that we didn't think about at all could have been something that Mm -hmm. was an impetus a catalyst or opened the doors to other things and and sometimes we don't even realize that till like way later we're looking back at it like wow, that thing led to this thing that led to this thing that led to this amazing thing for me. Yeah, I'm,
0: I'll have to, what I'm about to say, I'll have to, like, correct in show notes later, but I do want to reference this um, On Being podcast episode I listened to the other day, and Krista Tippett is interviewing a man, and this is where I can't remember his name, so sorry to this person, but go look in our show notes and i'll link the episode um but the the episode title is something about how god is in everything and he shares this like old kind of chinese fable um about this man who it's basically the idea that you know you don't actually know if anything is good or bad and it's mm. it's this beautiful like so series of like um his son becomes crippled and everyone in the town is like this is the worst thing that's ever happened and he's like i don't know is it and then like the next day the chinese government is like all of the men over 18 have to go to war but his son mm. can't and then like all of the men die and so it's like you know these things that seem like blocks but then save us from mm. something else or lead us to the next thing and yeah yeah like lizzie just said we pulled these cards from Mary Evans, beautiful Iris deck. And, um, yeah, the, the one who needs to control is definitely, I think on our minds of just how do you go with the flow of the universe? Um,
1: it's so it's, it's a life practice, I think is realizing that desire to control in yourself and, while at the same time staying motivated and staying focused on your intentions, um, letting go. So it's it's mm. that weird dance of like, you know, I, I want to relinquish control without um, without abandoning my motivation and my drive, you know. And it's just, I feel like people just get into this thing of like, the control is linked to your drive like Mm. if you can't if I can't control this I don't even want to do it you know what I mean it's like if I can't have it my way if I can't choose how this happens and forget it and that's like I feel like a big part of why some people abandon their art practice is just kind of like they want so bad to have it happen their way um when actually sometimes the way things unfold is actually better than you could have ever planned it and we were talking about all the different weird little interests and practices that I have in with the visualization thing. This is, Mm -hmm. this is a big one that I always say to people in visualization because there's obviously many different views of visualization, what it is and how to do it. And some are very um, kind of based off of like something that's like, so cringy to me, which Mm -hmm. is kind of like, success, control and manifesting kind of like, um, in the sense of this, the secret of like, I can, I have the power to almost like do this spell or this chant that's going to have what I want to happen. My will will be manifested, Mm. which is the very opposite of what, um, of how, of how the, the approach that I do visualization. But, um, the big thing that I say to people is you, kind of like <clears throat> have your intention of what you want and the universe has three answers yes not right now or no I have something better mm. so it, it only comes in it, the, that thing will come back to you in one of those forms yes not right now or I have something better
0: mm. yeah let's let's go there let's talk about let's your on. your visualizations and that's something that you that is an offering that you provide for people. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah, tell us about it.
1: So I, I think in general people have this conception, like I said about visualization as, like. If I visualize this thing, like let's say I want to make more money, I'll visualize myself making more money and I'll make more money.
0: Mm -hmm. But
1: that might not be the thing that's right for you. Like you could get into so many more problems having more money that Mm -hmm. maybe you could lose it all. Maybe Mm -hmm. you could make some really terrible choices. So again, if the universe thinks that it's not right now, not yet, you're not ready or No, I actually have something better, which is maybe less money, less problems in a different Mm -hmm. life. Maybe that's better for you. Um, But yeah, kind of getting people out of this idea that visualization is about control and almost like Mm. magic spell work, which it's not, but it's kind of like, it's a a way of, it has several different facets, right? So one is like reprogramming the mind. If you can use visualization and affirmations like, I trust the universe, my natural state is abundance, um, and visualizations of yourself in really life-affirming scenarios, you are really supporting a very productive, positive, abundance-based intention in your life, which will help you to connect with those things, right? Because sometimes Mm -hmm. we have so much negative talk going on in our heads that... It's funny because some of the affirmations, people feel so ridiculous repeating them in their mind. Like, I am beautiful. Like, you just feel like, first of all. Cheesy. Yeah, first of all, it's Mm -hmm. super cheesy. Second, this is not true. Mm -hmm. Like, you feel like (laughs) you're being deceitful because you don't feel beautiful. But when you actually think about your mind space, it's actually occupied by a lot of messages like, I'm ugly, Mm -hmm. I'm fat. Uh, And and they sound equally ridiculous if you say them out loud, right? Mm But that's what's going through your mind so why not counter it with the positive and at least support your growth and support your um, mental well-being right so reprogramming your mind is a big part of visualization um, and also allowing using visualization to allow your higher self to speak to you right so your higher self is kind of the more quiet voice in meditation, we would say like the observer, the watcher within, that is kind of like a little bit detached, but in a very healthy way, um, and a very calm voice within you, but a quiet voice that we usually kind of, um, what what's the word? We kind of stifle with all of this stimulus we have going in the outside world, and the ego mind and all that. So we're trying to uncover and just allow a space for that higher self to to speak, and in visualization, you're opening that space and you're letting go, you're relinquishing control, you're um, you're moving out of your editor mind. I call it the editor mind because it's like that's what your ego and your rational, analytical part of your brain is doing all the time. It's constantly editing and critiquing and checking. And this is something that can stifle creativity, right? Mm -hmm. You don't want to, like, edit a document before it's even written, right? So Mm -hmm. we're allowing this observer space to take over instead of the editor. Um, And within that, you, you, you can do a multitude of visualizations that allow the higher self to speak in just allowing... D- different visuals to come up in a scenario for example one of the most famous ones that I really love that's also in the iris deck is the pink bubble technique mm-hmm. and this is something anybody can do and it takes like two minutes maybe right cool. so when you're laying down you relax and you focus on your breathing you imagine that um, a pink bubble is a symbol and a beautiful um, a beautiful acknowledgement of love and passion and desire um, and first you start to visualize yourself holding something in your hand that you that you want or that you love right it could be a person it could be a thing it could be an activity it could be an object even anything you want right and you just look at that thing with such love and you wrap a pink bubble around it And then when you're ready you release the pink bubble with the thing in it and you just watch it float into the universe until it completely disappears right floats into the atmosphere and you feel those feelings of love but also letting go surrendering right and you just kind of acknowledge it and say to yourself this or something better will come back to me so in doing this you you do that with uh, maybe a few things or a few people or a few objects and you just kind of engage in acknowledging your desires acknowledging your passions and at the same time practicing surrender and letting go Um, and your higher self is at work because this is where you kind of Suspend the editor right and you're in the observer face because you just allow things to come up right that thing That's going to appear in your hand that you love so much or you desire or you want in your life Is just going to appear and that's your higher self showing you You know because I think sometimes we think we want certain things and we think we are a certain way or we really love certain things but there are other things that are more of a passion that we don't always want to acknowledge that we don't allow it to come to the surface. Um, and sometimes we stifle things that we really are passionate about because we're like, oh, this doesn't really have a place in my life. This isn't this isn't part of what I'm doing right now or, you know, whatever excuse or reasoning you give. Um, and so when you do a visualization like that, you just let things come up and you just acknowledge them and they may seem kind of crazy, but um but it's a way for you to connect and listen to that higher voice. I feel
0: so tingly and calm now mm-hmm. listening to all of that. Um so when you're so you are guiding people in mm-hmm. that. People can come to yeah. you. Yeah,
1: let me say so basically. This is I the didn't... boring
0: part, but I am interested no. in like what do we email you? How do I how do yeah, I get the full what... Lizzie experience? Because I think it's this is it's so cool to hear you talk about it because there are things I know, but I'm, like, hearing it in a really different way right now where I'm like, mm. oh, or I kind of expect I don't have to work for it. I'm like, I know how to, like, make myself feel better. And I'm like, oh, maybe I actually have to, like, take time mm. to actually v- literally visualize something different or letting something
1: right. go. So visualization is, like, you're you're taking responsibility for your mind space right yeah that's huge right
0: I have not been taking responsibility <laughs> for my mind space
1: <laughs> so if we want something but we're we allowing all the stuff that's counterproductive, counter productive um, counter actually destructive to that thing that we want how can we possibly have a chance at getting that thing we want right mm. and so when you take responsibility for the thoughts that come in your mind um, it can change everything because it's not just and I really want to emphasize it's not like just weird um for the people who are more science-minded it's not just weird voodoo stuff it's kind of like you are you are supporting and acknowledging your intentions and desires and that will put you in a completely different mind space to do the things you need to do to attain them right um whether it's seeing opportunities because how many times have like i think this is such a good analogy even though it's a little bit weird but like when you learn a new word and then you start Mm -hmm. seeing it everywhere Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know it's kind of like until you are in the right mindset sometimes you can't even see the opportunities that are good for you or you aren't tate you're not motivated to take the steps because you have so much like negative evil stuff weighing your mind down right so what I do is um and people can email me and there's also in my shop there's like a little listing for a meditation session which they can get for themselves or somebody else but basically we start by um I kind of do a little mini class on what this is and how to do it um and you know some people already experience it we kind of breeze through that but just kind of like how you were saying where you're mm-hmm. kind of aware of these things but then sometimes you need little reminders of like mm-hmm. how to get into the mindset. And then now I use mostly um oracle decks to guide the 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 visualization, right? So we talk about your situation. Um I pull five cards usually. And um each of the card will relate to something that you need in your life, right? Different um, symbols and topics and, and things that the cards, the deck feels that you you need to incorporate. And so I have a visualization based off of each of the cards, right? So then uh, we do the guided meditation part. And it's different than uh, traditional meditation in mm-hmm. that in traditional meditation, um, a lot of people say they have trouble with it because you're supposed to clear your mind. They're like, I cannot clear my yeah. mind. But that's actually like a mis... Understanding of what it is you're not supposed to clear your mind because that's that's an ego way of Getting into a meditative space which will never work right that kind of aggressive like I can't clear my mind like it Just adds to frustration, but again what you do is you become the you 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 become you uh, Align with your higher self um, in that watcher or observer perspective and you just simply watch and observe your thoughts so you can allow thoughts to come through your mind Um, you're not actively stopping anything you're just taking a different stance instead of connecting and identifying with all those thoughts you're having a healthy distance from them so you can just kind of watch and observe them Um, and traditional meditation is done usually a very active way right like you're sitting up and it's usually stressed that you have very good posture mm-hmm. um and it's very austere practice, right there's you're not calling in any visuals, you're just kind of observing your mind space mm-hmm. um, this as opposed to that, um, and it's not to like say, don't do traditional sure. meditation. it's just a lot of people this is like a gateway into traditional mm-hmm. meditation mm-hmm. or it's like a complementary just side practice, but for this one, I really encourage people to be laying down usually mm-hmm. and to be. Um, maybe even in bed right like right before you fall asleep like maybe like three to five minutes Mm -hmm. run through the visualizations as a tool of like reprocessing what happened throughout the day um, and connecting with those symbols and intentions that you need that are kind of like the medicine for you Um, but when I do the I usually work from Skype right so when I'm doing the guided visualization with people they are usually like this is not this is the off video part they're Mm -hmm. laying down and I have headphones in or they'll hear Mm -hmm. me through the computer Mm -hmm. and so then I'll talk them through the visualization like with those five cards you know so for example um like using the vessel deck if we Mm -hmm. had got a card that was um you know like um I think of a good example of a a range of different visualizations some of the visualizations are more um, enacting a scenario some are um, visiting a space to feel body calm and mental calm and and a space that you can access during the day some are creating an environment for a spirit guide to come in um, and so there's there's many different varieties but let's say in the vessel deck <clears throat> If you've got a card that was the abundance card what uh, like a possible visualization you can do with that is um, to kind of transport yourself to this really abundant amazing place a garden could be a jungle whatever whatever that is for you and kind of walk around it and either pick the flowers or pick the fruit. Let's say you're in a jungle and you're picking bananas. Let's mm-hmm. say you have like a great sense of humor and you love the beautiful like fun and f- humor of the jungle and you pick bananas from the tree and you unpeel them and just see what's behind the peel. Just see like the first impression of what what's what are you unpeeling? What's there? Mm-hmm. And you pick another banana and you just unpeel it. And again, you're not in your editor mind. You're in your observer mind. You're just observing, and maybe you take two minutes to do to go to this jungle space, and it's something that you can visit whenever you want. But it's a check in with your higher self. And afterward, then you can kind of be Freud for a minute and think about like, what does this mean that this thing was um, in the banana peel? Like, what what is my higher self trying to say? Mm. So it's it's kind of like different cards. Can provoke different, um, different visuals, and then those things kind of can almost be like a totem for you of like, okay, the, this is the set of symbols that the deck is speaking that it wants you to to be attuned to right now. The, that are going to be tools, that are going to be visualizations, that are tools for you to control your mind space and connect with your desires, reprogram, um, support, what, whatever in whatever way. But it's kind of like a toolkit, and so after the guided visualization, then we talk about usually lasts like maybe like mm, up to forty minutes, and then we we talk about what you saw and what that means.
0: Wow, this sometimes. feels yeah, that's intense. <laughs> um, right before we started, we we were just looking at some of your wearable art. I almost said jewelry. Oh no, it's good. Uh, we're actually. I'm gonna have to refill my iced tea also. This is real. We're in real time, people. We're is this we're unedited. all the noise
1: out. Um, I'm gonna cough. Yeah, okay. I'm gonna sip.
0: <laughs> mhm. All right. Lizzie made iced tea with iced tea ice cubes. <laughs> so if you want to file that on. under a thing that you should do. Um, <laughs> but we were looking at your. It's interesting too because I just I almost said jewelry and then was like it's not jewelry um because it you know i kind of like put put this piece on and was like whoa this is not even wearable art this is not jewelry this is like a true like protective you know talisman Mm. that i'm i'm wearing and it's so awesome to hear about your visualization practice and meditation practice and it's also tied in no pun intended to your um your workbook, your beautiful, beautifully illustrated um, book about about making sacred knots, and um, yeah, talk talk to me a little bit about how the the practice of meditation vis- visualization informs mm-hmm. what because it obviously for you know we can put together it's informing your wall pieces and your wearable art, but really with the wearable art, it's so you're making these pieces that. Feel, even just when I put it on my body, I was like, wow, there's so much in this, you know, between the choices that you're making in the colors and the choices you're making in the knots. So yeah, just talk about that intersection. A
1: yeah, bit. no, that's a great point. Because I really, I didn't think about how analogous they are until right now. Um, because I guess as I was, Talking about the visuals, I'm talking about, you know, symbols that are can serve as tools for changing your life or supporting your life. Um, And the necklaces actually see the same way. It's funny, I'm just like making that connection right now because the knots are all very symbolic. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I love more than making the average kind of everyday piece, making the ceremonial pieces because they really are. It's such a um, symbol of something powerful that you may connect with, and um, looking into knot histories, particularly being influenced by um, Chinese and Korean knots, um, but also sailor's knots, and and also Celtic knots, um, even before written language, there were knots. And, Mm. for example, in South America, women would make these amazing wall tapestries of little ties of knots so they could tell the story of like the village or they could tell the story of their family. Wow. Because before writing, you would place knots on certain areas of the string and it would mean like there was a war then, there was a drought then, there was a,
0: Wow.
1: you know, so there's something about knots being such a essential visual thing that kind of cuts through our language mind, you know, our rational kind of analytical language based mind to something even deeper because you don't they kind of transcend language right Mm -hmm. and so some of the knots when you find out the meanings of a certain knot like even the sailors knot the josephine knot um it was supposedly named during the napoleon and josephine kind of era of um france and that idea of sailors being away from home maybe longing for a part their partner that they left back at home making these knots which the josephine knot kind of looks like an embrace um and so it's has this mythology of like napoleon in love with josephine and kind of like Mm. them kind of putting that mythology into it um and so anytime you see a knot like that Um, It can trigger different feelings and and be a reminder. And if you put it on your body or your space, you're seeing it uh, throughout the day. And it's cutting through that language thing to your subconscious. Just something in your visual line of sight that's going to remind you of whatever that thing is that you want, right? So if you want romance or you're longing for romance, maybe the Josephine knot. but, you know, one in... um, Chinese tradition is the double coin knot because it looks like two coins overlapping and it's all about, you know, prosperity and abundance. So if that's something you want in your life, like having that knot somewhere in your line of sight, either in your house or on your body can kind of have that little subconscious little um, trigger, motivation for you, you know. And so because we were talking kind of before about, you know, you're thinking about maybe making yourself like a wearable thing. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's the power of it is just having something for you that has a deep meaning that is so in line with your desires and intentions that even if you're glancing around the room and it's, it's somehow is in the corner of your eye, that it's still getting kind of into the mind. It's into the brain and and being a reminder and a motivation. Mm -hmm you
0: also teach other people Mm -hmm. how to make knots yeah it's been fun to see just it seems like it's a newer Mm -hmm. a newer part of your life um Mm -hmm. it's been fun to see little that your classes are popping up in different spaces around the bay and then you also made your beautiful book so that anyone can learn anywhere tell me a little bit about your teaching practice and how that's felt to share it with other people as well as how it's informed to your own work
1: yeah the sharing it part is very um, very personal it's like such a hard choice for an artist to like decide to teach like that's just it's a huge choice that you make um, because again it's like about letting go of control and Mm -hmm. kind of also being generous and abundant with your Mm with your practice to trust that your identity is not... You may have created something new, and, and I don't mean like you reinvented the wheel necessarily, but maybe you have your own style that you've developed. And right. to allow people into that, it can be hard because maybe your identity is wrapped up in it. And, and rightfully so, because that's something that you, you know, that's, that's your fingerprint on it, right? But... um what really led me to teaching was feeling like i had arrived at i've reached a level in my work mm-hmm. that i feel um confident and, and i trust that there's never a lack of ideas that um that I guess it, it's a it's a multifaceted trust, but I'm still trying to understand what that means because it's not to say there's no difficulty in it. Um, there are people who, and it's not that they're um, they have negative intentions, but there mm-hmm, are people who mm-hmm. just because they don't understand the <clears throat> the kind of. Integrity I feel that you do need to have when you're presenting work as far as like crediting design and mm-hmm. and taking ownership at the same time of like what you brought to something versus what your teachers have brought to mm-hmm. it. Um, some people who may not have any wrong intention at all may want to may present the work taking full credit for something maybe even a teacher head design just because they mm-hmm. physically we're able to make it based off instruction, so that kind of stuff is difficult, because it almost feels like very personal as a teacher um, to see that, Um, but that's part of why I don't, I wouldn't say teaching is for everybody um, and for everything, but I feel like if you do get to a space in your work where you feel like you've moved on, you can start to teach the basics, and I feel Mm -hmm. like I want to Mm. evolve more, this is like, Teaching is also an impetus for me to evolve more. It's kind of forcing me to evolve. Um, What I teach, I'm very clear with, is not my... It's not my main... I don't don't know if I want to say main. It's not my... Hmm, I don't know what the best word for this is. Hmm. It's like what I'm teaching is... um, My basic technique and what I'm teaching is traditional knots not knots that I've designed traditional knots that are in the collective conscious that anybody could could use right right? Um, and I keep that separate for from something that I'm working out and that's kind of like a I don't know how to put it other than say it's like one of my little treasures for myself but once I want to move on from that treasure then I'm ready to share it, right? Does that make sense? Yeah. But you have to keep a practice that's very personal for yourself. Sure. And when you're ready to move on and, and what becomes personal and intimate to you is something else, then you can open that up like, okay, this is no longer personal. This this is something that I want. This is a wisdom I want to share and I want it to be a legacy. So I want other people mm-hmm. to do it. Mm-hmm. Um. And there's such a power in that too, right? Yeah. Of having mm-hmm. students... M- like evolve Mm -hmm. with what they've learned from you. Mm -hmm. Um, But sometimes it is hard because you get in your ego about certain things like somebody, and this happens quite often, is that an artist will teach something and Mm -hmm. someone will make a whole Etsy store around selling that thing that they designed, right? Right. (laughs) Yeah. Or um, someone may do an art show and they're like, Oh, this is my work and it's something that they learned in your class and it's not Mm -hmm. that different Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. I kind of this is something I still struggle with how the Mm -hmm. best way to get this across Mm -hmm. because I do feel like the most of that comes from just not knowing rather than Mm -hmm. bad intentions Mm -hmm. but I want to say you know Mm. to people get this kind of integrity thing across that if it looks like it came from someone's workshop then it's really not your work like you may have physically created the pieces but if anyone can look at something that you've made and say, oh, that's the Sacred Knots Workshop or anything else, then it's not really your designs, even though you right. may have done certain things to kind of make it yours or like maybe you changed the color or sure. you've done a certain thing. Um, it's not ready for it to be your artwork. And And the other thing is, if it's something like that, where it's not very clear it's something that you've created or pioneered, then... I would prefer that and I'm not even talking about my, something sure. for my class, but just in general, I would prefer that people not sell them, that people just make them for friends and family sure. and for themselves. Sure. I mean, there's a lot of things that maybe you can't afford to, to, mm-hmm. to buy mm-hmm. and you want to take the workshop to make so you mm-hmm. can and I think that's great, but mm-hmm. you know when it gets into selling and representation or misrepresentation in that sense of a design or <clears throat> sorry my voice um something that it's too clearly attached to your teacher. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Practice it and keep working with it until it becomes something that is identifiably yes. unique as you. Yeah. Yeah. And so and so that I just take that point of view of like you're not ready to open the Etsy store yet. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. keep working with it until mm-hmm. you can find your own style. And it may take a long time. Um, but, but yeah, again, with my class, I feel like I've moved into different areas where I want to teach the basics. I want people to get into nodding. Mm-hmm. I want them mm-hmm. to learn. Mm-hmm. And a lot of what I teach is teaching traditional stuff that's not mine. It's right. the collective right. conscience right. for us all right. to, you know. Right. It's kind of like if someone you're you're... If you're learning something that is someone's design who's living, that's mm-hmm. that's where things get sticky as far as you selling it or presenting mm-hmm. it as your work. Mm-hmm. If this is mm-hmm. from our ancestors, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. I feel like that's what they want us to mm-hmm. to to work with it, to yeah. to even copy it to learn.
0: Yeah.
1: And copying in a great way of learning something. Yeah. Like yeah. that's yeah. but that marks a beginner versus like right. yeah. someone who's Evolved and created their own and has their own perspective I guess I'd say yeah
0: Yeah. I mean I think I'm always thinking about that I feel like a huge part is this like abundant like how do you act in abundance but also simply protect mm-hmm. not only your work as an artist but just as a business and it's like mm-hmm. feels hard to think about that side of it or um, yeah I've talked to like a few friends who do work like moon work Mm -hmm. and like either teach classes around the phases of the moon or, you know, or how to manifest using the phases of the moon. And, you know, somebody takes one of their classes and then develops a really similar class. And I've, Mm -hmm. I've, I mean, it's hard. I mean, it's, it's a, it's the same thing. Like I got a dance degree to learn how to teach dancing from dance teachers, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's kind of the point, but it is, its I feel like I definitely am always trying to to be like, okay, where am I pulling all these things? But how can I make sure that this is like Marley's class and and not teaching it until I feel ready to have it yes. be different enough.
1: And um, also having people realize that when you're teaching a class, it doesn't mean that they can now copy everything that you do. Right. Right. You know, so if right. you're teaching this certain style, yeah. that doesn't mean that you should be able to pilfer through my site or Instagram and just start trying to copy everything to resell or to present. Like, feel free to use the stuff that I'm teaching, but that's not a license to, you know, um, copy. And copying, I I put this in the book, copying is essentially soulless. It's a great tool for learning. But you're not, you know, you're not helping the world. Like, you're not presenting a new perspective. You're not innovating by copying. You're just, it's purely making money or ego boost, you know, unless you're not making money from it, you're learning right. from it. You're right. you're giving credit where credit's due. Right. Then it's a great tool as a student. Right.
0: Yeah, I find sometimes I feel detached in some ways as someone who I generally only make quilts for myself mm-hmm. or you know, for friends and t- and teach it in a way that's so like uh driven by wanting to make this crash course and how to make a blanket essentially Mm -hmm. and um i don't think this episode's going to come out in time for people to hear this but my my like original teacher eliza fernand is teaching in oakland i think next weekend um it's the end of march but this won't come out till april um but yeah, I, like, want everyone to go take her class because I'm, like, if you want to get better at, like, these other parts that I, like, rushed you through, like, you should go and learn from my teacher about patchwork. And how, like, yeah, how do we, like, support our co-teachers or, like, the yeah. people we learn from if it's, like, some, you know, direct enough, um, you know, like, I tell everybody to come to the dance intensive I go to every year because I'm, like, if you like what I teach, you'll love what my teachers taught me, yeah. you know, and how do I, I love that, you know pay that respect but
1: and, and I think there's also a big delineation between there are people who are just teachers and I don't say just mm-hmm. to minimize mm-hmm. right. It all.
0: Right. That's but I what mean they do. that's
1: their practice right. is teaching. And they invite you to possibly even copy their you know, certain people's perspective is sure. It's all for you to do that into into they don't mind if you open a shop based off what they right. taught. Like and that's fine. Right. That's right. perfectly fine. Right. But when some when someone's a teacher and they're not okay with that because like let's say they're they have thing part of their living to be able to mm-hmm. teach is to sell mm-hmm. this. I just think that when students cross that boundary, you inhibit the art community mm. because Sharing is based off trust, mm-hmm. you know, and if people feel that they aren't respecting your boundaries as students, you know, they aren't respecting your boundaries as a teacher, um, it's going to make people not want to teach because I have many friends and acquaintances who are like, oh, I, gotta, I would never teach because right. too many people are you know, stealing or, you know, whatever. Right. Um, and so it's inhibiting because if they didn't feel like that they would share the Mm -hmm. technique. Mm -hmm. And so that's a little bit sad to me and that's um a repercussion and, and I and I really disagree with the people who think that um, you know, uh everybody should just share everything they've done because because we, because, you know, essentially, and I don't, I don't mean everyone, I I guess in this context, I'm sure. not saying, I, I, I think I, what I'm trying to say is, and this is like not even a fully formed thought, so I don't know how I can articulate this, but the idea that um, you should have no boundaries with students copying or even selling mm. the copies mm-hmm in that sense of everybody, every artist should just share all their tickets. Yeah, yeah. Because if you look at history, like people like some of the artists in part of Motown who've mm-hmm, changed mm-hmm. global music culture and died impoverished and mm-hmm, nobody cared right, at the end of the day. Right, you know, right. uh, you have to have boundaries in place and, and, and you know, to, to say that, to criticize an artist who is wanting to make those boundaries intact and in speaking out against people... Mm -hmm. stealing or copying Mm -hmm. to to try to take them down or speak negatively or Mm -hmm. like they're greedy Mm -hmm. or selfish is I think coming from a place of privilege Mm -hmm. of someone who doesn't understand Mm -hmm. the experience Right, you know
0: yeah I mean I think I you know we were just talking about her before but Megan Shimmick really comes Mm -hmm. to mind as someone who I feel like has found a way to like i mean she literally just teaches almost exactly how to make her weavings you know her like big beautiful <laughs> roving weavings and i think she's just found ways to exactly like make it really clear to her students like i'm showing you how to do this like don't make what i make uh, maybe but she's she lucky to-
1: doesn't do do that She's we've uh, talked oh, yeah, about yeah, this before, yeah, and she's yeah. she does delineate like I'm teaching a certain style, sure. and I don't teach the style that that's I my actually primary. make, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, see, and that's
0: so interesting because yeah, I feel like sometimes or when I saw that she was teaching the classes mm-hmm. like with roving, I was like, right.
1: damn, that's great. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like yeah. to
0: to use. She's got that great boundaries
1: Yeah, damn, she's good. She's good. She's got really yeah. great boundaries and I think she kind of makes it clear in her class, and I think yeah. that's great. And I think that's the power of. Also, trusting um, yeah. with being a teacher because yeah. you know what she does is so next level. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like it's not she can teach someone how to weave with roving. Yeah, it's not easy for someone to copy what no. she's really no. doing, right? It's, right. her totally. work stands alone, yeah. and yeah. so it's kind of like you only want to teach when you get to that place where you're totally
0: like, feels so good. Feel, your yeah, work.
1: you feel yeah. good in your work yeah. and you feel like. Hey, look! If you yeah. want to try to copy yeah. what I'm really doing, yeah, good luck to you yeah. <laughs> because yeah. this is something that's taken me so long to develop and involves so much skill. It's yeah. not going to be easy for yeah. a beginner to do that,
0: right? Well, and I feel like just what you had said, you know, I've gotten to watch Megan now for years develop her style and what she does, and I feel like when she as a teacher, like it has ma- pushed her to make her work continue to get like mm-hmm. weirder and cooler and mm-hmm. bigger and, yeah. you know, and sculptural and like, yeah, that's, it's incredible to have that intersection if you can do it with trust and boundaries and mm-hmm. abundance and like that dance of all the things. Oh, um, we're, we're getting close or we're probably over an hour, but I do want to talk quickly k- kind of linked to that you organized a free skillshare last mm-hmm. year and that, you know, money is I think a huge conversation in our world of like wanting to charge fairly for this work that we're making yes. or for our classes. But also so many of us are coming from this like DIY social justice perspective of also wanting totally. to have accessible work or accessible knowledge. So, um, yeah, as kind of our last bit together, I'd love for you to share why you did that or what made you want to do that.
1: Yeah, I think that I don't think uh, the things are like, I know it's such a weird, because it's like not something I've articulated, but it's something we need to have more conversations Uh, about uh because I don't think people are on the same page or clear. Uh Um, It's absolutely important to talk about. I don't think that, Fair labor prices and free and accessible stuff are mutually uh, exclusive, mm. right? And it <laughs> becomes a battle of people arguing like, "Oh, these people are overcharging for everything. People, sh- this should all be free." But at the same time, you need to pay people fair labor, and people are working, and you're you're treating them like slaves, or right. you know whatever. Right. We can have both, I think. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so the way that I have both, it's kind of like a similar philosophy of like, what I teach and mm-hmm. what I mainly sell and, and, and show as my artwork mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. so <clears throat> the free event is very different from something that I would charge for because my class you know for example a lot of people and I'm bringing up the class again because it's like a parallel where a lot of people misunderstood and thought the Skillshare was gonna be like my workshops, sure and it's not they are two right. different animals just like I feel like free um, public access stuff and uh-huh. fair labor Quality stuff are two different animals, right. and we can have both animals in the same <laughs> garden and uh-huh. the same zoo. It's fine, um, <clears throat> but my my workshop is pricey. It's not something that necessarily the average person can afford, mm-hmm. especially a lot of gals like me who are budget minded yeah. and don't. I don't have that much resources if I'm gonna drop you know three digits right, on something right it's got to be very intentional for me and very yeah. focused and I would love to just dabble in stuff mm-hmm. but my budget does not allow me to dabble sure. in all these workshops that that may interest me right mm-hmm. so <clears throat> the reason why my workshop is so expensive is because of not only fair labor but the materials you're getting are at least $50 mm-hmm. worth of mm-hmm. just just right. The materials right. right right and then on top of that there's a it's a four-hour class mm-hmm. and the fee is split between the venue and myself. Right. And rents are so high here. Right. You know, it's there's a lot right. going on. By the on. time we're
0: breaking it down, that's yes. right.
1: By the time you're breaking it down, there's it's not a nobody's getting rich off of right. this, right? right? It's a it's a living, but it's not mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. people may think when they see a high class sure. price. Um, <clears throat> the Skillshare, uh, as opposed to the to the workshop, was something that I wanted to do that was focused on quick and simple tastes of. Of many artists, larger practices, mm. and it was also very trade based right cool. so we did it so that for um, in exchange for the teacher to share their skill, <clears throat> they get uh, the lunch free, and the the day is basically free, right They would pay maybe minimal material cost for mm. class they mm. want to do. As a participant you would pay for the material costs and for the lunch your mm-hmm. lunch and the mm-hmm. lunch of a teacher mm-hmm. or a portion of the lunch of a teacher mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and we did it outside so we didn't have any venue costs of what? like paying for a space um, and <clears throat> we we kind of carved it up as like little mini 15 minute to generally hour long little tastes of what people do that's not a substitute for going to one of their workshops it doesn't take right money out of their pocket in that sense um, of their bread and butter of mm-hmm. teaching it kind of gives you a peek into a practice and it's a way for you to kind of dabble but without having to pay all the money and in exchange in gratitude you're you're paying for a teacher's lunch right
0: cool.
1: um, so it, it was really great but it was it was hard and it was my mm. first time doing that and I understood why and and I hope people understand because I I didn't fully understand but I hope people would understand why people do charge to even set up something like that because the amount of administration I'm just going to like throw that term out there in quotes of me setting that up of working with like eight different teachers' schedules yeah, like all the messages from people who wanted to participate and setting up Mm -hmm. the thing on the side and promoting it and That's hours and hours of work, and then gather, like, the lunch, making the order, and picking up stuff, and, you know, dealing with texts of, like, somebody's sick, or somebody's this, and the material fees, you know, it's it's a lot, it's a lot, and, and I learned from that, because I did such a mega one for the last one that was, like, such an all-day thing, I want to say it was, like, eight hours, and it was so many teachers, and it was, um, Outside on like a rare hot day so that yeah. made it rough too yeah. I would do it again I would mm-hmm. just do it very short yeah. and abbreviated yeah. more yeah. simple version yeah
0: beautiful um any last thoughts what's next what are your next oh, do you have like big projects you're working on or looking forward to doing so
1: I have a show in April nice. um I think it's April 30th yeah April 30th is Perfect. the opening, um, at Red Poppy Gallery in the city. Um, yeah, it's where Zaina works. Yes, exactly. She's the one um, she's the one that, um, I think suggested me for, for that. So it's really exciting. Yeah. She's an amazing, um, musician and it's going to be a little bit different work. So I'm really excited about that. I want to create like a more, otherworldly kind of alien feeling space with the knots and yeah. using this really, really wide cord.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and what else is next? Um, so funny cause time flew so by so fast. that I don't feel like at, we taught what we talked about. I'm like, how does that, but this is again, back to like oh, controlling, yeah. like Jump how forever. does this all, yeah. <laughs> how does this all like represent like, Hmm. I don't know, like I think a big project for me that I've been pretty quiet about but I I want to talk about more is the fiber arts um uh kind of research studio visit thing that we we talked about a little bit mm-hmm. before of uh, really spotlighting the female fiber artists that came before um from the 60s and 70s who innovated and created the basically the Mm. genre of fiber arts as we know it but get very very little recognition Mm. um because fiber arts is very sidelined as women's work or female related um genre within the arts community so i don't think they're giving their proper due and so i'm starting i'm kind of putting together through artist interviews and studio visits um a site uh Janet Lipkin, Jean Casito, and a bunch of ladies of that generation specifically, but then also the descendants, I'll say, of of them, which is more my, my generation. Megan Shimmick is like a good example, mm, too, mm-hmm. um, of people that may not even be uh, aware of their work. They may or may not be, but w- when they see it, they realize that they're part of a legacy that yeah. maybe they don't even realize. Yeah. Um, so yeah that's a huge that's a huge um, ongoing I guess thing for me and I'm hoping to get that like really launched the site up this by the summer um, and I'm super excited about that um, what else trying to do more visualization classes I think in LA um, uh-huh. Mary from spirit speak and I are doing a little pop-up tour first week of May in LA of like a more oh. workshop focused like nice yeah she's she hasn't done tarot classes in a while so she's like cool. kind of getting into that again thinking uh-huh. about teaching again nice and um I have a class in Ojai on May 6th so it's gonna be part of this whole like little LA tour awesome
0: where's your yeah. class in Ojai
1: uh Caddy Wampus cool you know the place? I haven't
0: been but it looks amazing maybe, right looks I awesome, haven't been yeah. there yeah and I love Ojai I haven't been There's a good cr- crew of Grand Rapids folks who all live there. So. Really?
1: Oh, is that yeah. where, where Sally Sally's, is? Yeah, I thought so. And, yeah, that's
0: and Jeff Halstead, who started this incredible roaming artist residency called Cabin Time.
1: Cabin Time. Lives okay. there with his partner,
0: Sarah. Yeah. Amazing. Wow, lots coming up. Lots yeah, to do. lots to do. Cool. Well, and that's awesome. I mean, I'm definitely inspired by... As a new kid in town I felt a little hermited in some ways and I think also just winter hermits me, even there's no snow here, but like still just the darkness and Mm -hmm. I've been feeling that like urge to like I wanna go to like openings and events and like connect with my fellow humans outside of quilting and watching tv well i mean it gets so
1: uh it's uh, fiber arts are very solitary mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. And, and it's and it takes a lot of labor to make mm-hmm. a single piece mm-hmm. um and so you get you fall very much into that hermit yeah. trap yeah. so yeah it's good to get out
0: cool thank thanks, you lizzie yeah you and thanks for everyone listening um lizzie places we can find you on the internet tell us what are your what are uh, Instagram your Instagram is
1: my main my main boo. Uh, I don't really do. Like, What's your Instagram Facebook. handle? So it's um just my name put together like L I S E S I L V A Lizzie Silva, and my site which is again just my mm-hmm. name mm-hmm. Com, Lizzy cool. dot com and I think that's it. That's cool. those are the, my two main yeah main hangouts. Cool,
0: go find Lizzie there. Read the show notes, mm. and. See you later. Bye. Bye. Thanks again to Lizzie for opening up to us and sharing her knowledge and her beautiful story. Thank you to everyone who tuned in today and listened. Thanks to our sponsors, Fringe Supply Company and How To Hair Girl. You can listen to all 55 episodes of the Have Company podcast at have-company.com podcast or subscribe on iTunes. If you're interested in sponsoring an episode or doing a giveaway, email havecompany at gmail.com. And I hope you go to the podcast page. You can learn a lot more about Lizzie and our sponsors. We try to link different things that we mentioned in the episode so that they're a little bit easier for you to find and track down later. Again, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Marley. You can find me on Instagram at havecompany. And I'll talk to you soon.